Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, it's Claire here. The FT has granted me some time off for good behavior, but I leave you in the very capable hands of my colleague Brooke Masters, the FT's New York-based financial editor. This week, she's examining the role that cash plays in our portfolio and what to do with your emergency fund in the current economic climate with great takeaways for listeners on both sides of the Atlantic. Enjoy. Thank you, Claire. I'm Brooke Masters, the FT's U.S. financial editor, and welcome to Money Clinic. As Claire mentioned, today's show is all about cash, When I found out I would be hosting the show this week, that's the topic I knew I wanted to dive into. Right now, inflation rates are running high, and people's household budgets are getting tighter, and there are so many different places to stash your money. How much emergency cash do we really need to keep on hand? And while it's tempting to stick our money under the mattress when the markets are stormy, there are better options so that we are not losing out on potential earnings. I've wrestled with these questions myself. And so today, I talk with two very knowledgeable people who are going to help us find some answers. Moira O'Neill. Hi, I'm Moira. I write a column for FT Money in the UK. And Georgia Lee Hussey. Georgia Lee Hussey. I'm the founder and CEO of Modernist Financial, a wealth management firm in lovely Portland, Oregon. Moira writes about investing for the FT, and she's the author of multiple personal finance books, Georgia works with many clients within her wealth management firm, Modernist Financial, to help them structure their wealth and investments around their progressive values. We cover all the bases when it comes to cash, anxiety around having enough of it, where to keep it, and how much we should be saving versus investing. So let's get into it. Here's my conversation with Moira O'Neill and Georgia Lee Hussey. Let's talk about savings. Moira, you want to get us started? What do you think? Sure. Well, I think the UK is really a country of extremes when it comes to savings. So lots of people have too much. And then the vast majority of people don't have anything really to fall back on in an emergency. (laughs) The ideal really is to have between three and six months of your outgoing saved up somewhere safe in the bank so that if financial emergency happens, you lose your job is the biggie, then you can dip into that fund. Now, lots of people oversave. I think uh, women are particularly bad at this. <laughs> I mean, it's a really healthy thing to be saving and diligently and putting aside something every month. But if it's just going into the bank, uh, it's not got the potential to grow. And then lots of people just don't save up a pot so they don't have anything to fall back on. So what you want to be is there in the healthy middle with that decent sum saved up and then you can start to plan for the long term properly. Georgia, you talk about um, holistic money management. How do you talk to your clients about the amount of money they ought to be saving in emergency ready money? Yeah, it's an interesting question because I think it really gets to the heart of the behavioral 
reality of how people make decisions. I think Moira is referencing this, that maybe women in the UK have a tendency to save higher amounts. I'm not sure what the historical reasoning for that is, but I could take a few guesses. And I often start with understanding what is the history of their savings patterns and what is their familial history of savings patterns. I find that folks who have a family history of significant upheaval have a tendency to save more. So helping people bring that to consciousness is also helpful because as Moira also points out, oversaving can be actually an anxiety action as opposed to a logical, I need X amount in order to buffer me against these unforeseen circumstances. So we think about it in layers. So I want you to have half a month or a month of extra cash in your checking account. Then I want you to have probably another month of backup in a savings account that's attached to your checking account at your credit union or your bank. And then for most folks, I'm looking, especially in this gorgeous market of rising interest rates, finally, at least on the savings account side, (laughs) you can get a high yield account that will pay four and four and a half percent, which feels like a dream of the early aughts to me at this point. So then we'll add another two to three to four months in that high yield savings account. Once those layers of cash are set aside, then the question is, so why is there more? What's the purpose? If there's a purpose like a down payment or a big sabbatical or a large investment of some kind that needs to be paid out in the next two to four years, then I would probably say keep it in the high yield account. But if it's any longer a time period than that, then we're going to have very intentional conversations about understanding how investments will help you outpace inflation, et cetera. It is a higher rate environment. It's also a very high inflation environment. How should that change the way people think of things? I'll fess up. I feel very anxious if I don't have a lot of cash. So we always have too much in our checking account. But my husband has finally convinced me that, you know, if inflation is running 5% a year, this is no longer some sort of indulgence he's willing to put up with. You know, for (laughs) years, he was like, fine, you can have too much cash. But now he's like, this is ridiculous. So, Moira, give us a sense of how does inflation change the dynamic for people? Well, I think there are always risks around everything that you can do with your money. And of course, the big risk of holding in the bank in your easy access account, we call it here in the UK, is that it's guaranteed to be losing money to inflation, losing its value. There are no guarantees that you're going to get great growth from doing different things with your money. So the stock market, for example, that's where you're taking on different types of risks and you could lose it, at least in the bank. Um, it's likely to be the safest place for it. There's a balance to be had here. But I think if you you know, have five years of income saved up in the bank, which some people do, and they feel it's great comfort them to have that, I think you need to seriously have a rethink because your money is not having the chance to grow for the long term. And it's, it's losing its value, even though it's earning its 4.5%. <laughs> I liked um, George's idea of layering it. Should we talk a bit about the kinds of products you can layer? So obviously there's the very basic day-to-day easy access account, which Moira's just mentioned. And then there are a lot of banks now offer a sort of a high-yield savings account and other options. Should we talk about the pros and cons of each one? Like what's good about having it in a high-yield savings account? What's the bad part? I think people need to be prepared to move for better rates there. So um, current account providers sometimes offer really great deals. So they offer you 100 quid here, 200 quid there to switch. Go do that. It's easy to switch now. 
And you hear stories of people earning an easy thousand pounds a year just from switching their current account. And, you know, those current accounts quite often, um, some of the better banks offer a really high regular savings account attached to the current account, which is a great way of earning high interest, albeit it might be on a small portion of your savings, but do take advantage of that. And then if you can afford to, to lock your money away for a year, two years, three, even up to five years, you'll find that you can get um, better rates of interest. Now, not everybody wants to do that because interest rates are a moving thing. And if you lock it away, you might miss out or if rates improve in future. So what a lot of people do is create what I like to think of as ladders. So you have some money in the one-year locked-away account, um, some in the two-year, and then once your one-year um, deal expires, then you can move on to a, a, a new one. And so you can layer up different types of accounts to get quite a good rate overall. Georgia, in the U.S., obviously we have sort of similar term accounts, which are the Certificates of Deposit, CDs, but we also have money market funds, which have gotten a lot of attention lately because a lot of money has been going into them. Can you explain why they're different than bank accounts and what the pros and cons are? We generally recommend using those accounts when they're connected with high-yield savings accounts, especially this new product, um, which may be similar to what you're talking about, Moira, which is a collection of banks that come together to ensure your deposits. And what's also happening in that algorithm is the fintech firm that is managing that process is also going out and trying to get the best yield for you. So it's often a bunch of regional banks that are offering these deals and they're able to, to bring them all together. We generally recommend those accounts. When I've looked at rates on money market accounts, they have not been better than the high yield. And so I have a hard time recommending those when I think there's another... I love this term, easy access. Um, there's another easy access account that's available. Um, what our clients generally do, again, is the checking account, a very simple savings account. Hopefully, it's got a decent yield. Then the high yield fintech version of their savings account. And then at that point, we are generally looking at bond funds because most of our clients, most anybody I don't think is actually sophisticated enough to play a ladder, especially in a rising interest rate market. So we generally recommend not using CDs in this moment because right now CDs tend to be yielding lower than high yield savings accounts, which are completely liquid and insured. So that's how we recommend utilizing the US products that are available. I think for our British listeners, um, money market funds, of course, are not bank accounts. They look like bank accounts in that you sometimes you can even write checks off them, but they aren't covered by deposit insurance. Is it ever worth putting your money in something that isn't covered by deposit insurance if it is your safety money? In the U.S., I don't see a reason to, given the fun tech options. I mean, I'm we offer one through our firm um, to our clients, and it has like $1.5 million of insurance on it. So... Why Why would you take risk when the yield is going to be marginally better? That's how I would look at it. In the UK, we have the Financial Services Compensation Scheme, which protects your money up to 85000 per person, per institution. And so the recommendation is always to spread any very large lump sums among institutions up to that amount 
so that if anything were to fail, you would be within the limits for compensation. But there's one bank where the limits don't apply, and that's the government backs uh, national savings investments. The trade-off there is really that national and savings investments accounts don't have market-leading rates, but it is the ultimate safe haven for your money. And the one product that people find very popular is premium bonds, which are offered by national savings investments. Now, they're not savings. It's like a sort of mini lottery, really. There are prizes on offer and those prizes are tax-free and you can hold up to £50,000 in premium bonds. The prize fund delivers an interest rate of 3.3%, which is okay. And some people win more than that. Some people win absolutely nothing. It's easy access. So a lot of people use that for their emergency fund. And there's always a chance that you might win a big prize. The top prize is a million pounds. Wow. That sounds fun. Can we get that? I like that. Yeah, exactly. I was like, I'm getting three and a half percent from my savings account. I don't have any lottery attached to it. (laughs) We've talked a bit about deposit insurance, and obviously the UK limit is 85,000 pounds. The US one is 250,000. But in the US, we've recently had a lot of publicity about whether banks are safe and whether there needs to be more deposit insurance. Do you have a sense, Georgia, whether this is affecting people's decisions to save? Are they freaked out by all this? And is it changing the dynamic? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I'm concerned because I think this moment is causing people to move their money out of regional and smaller banks and into the big banks. That is very problematic, uh, especially as somebody who's oriented around values and financial decision making. So I think there is a, the reason I'm starting with this is that I think there is again, a money story circulating right now that big is safe and small is not safe when the insurance applies across all types of banks in the same way. Credit unions have the same 250,000. There is a wonderful FDIC calculator on their website that allows you to put in your bank account structures and tell you how much coverage you have. So if you own an account jointly, you have $500,000 in coverage in that. If you have more than $500,000 in your savings account, we need to have a conversation about why you have more than $500,000 in a savings account. Unless there's like a down payment that's going to happen in the next six months. I think the amount question is a question that's circulating because of anxiety, not necessarily because of a investor's or retail need that's out there. That's my perspective on it. That's interesting. Actually, you you mentioned this question of sometimes you do need more cash um, or at least readily available money. I mean, what are the kinds of things people should be thinking about, you know, beyond the, okay, you need three to six months savings and obviously you need to save for retirement. What is there in between those two that might mean you want more readily available cash? And how should people think about that? Well, financial planning is a very long timeline. We're here today, eventually want to retire. Eventually, you will no longer be with us and your assets will go somewhere. In between, there's a lot of other financial milestones that happen for people depending on your phase of life. So usually the cash need is related to those milestones, right? If you need that money for a down payment in two years, it better be in a deposit insured account hoping that it has a decent return or it's a two-year bond that is getting a, a decent return. But if you want to buy a house in eight or nine or 10 years, I'm probably not recommending that it's going into bonds entirely. I'm probably recommending like a 30% stock 
70% bond portfolio. So we're getting some return. We're also getting the benefit of the market because then we have a real concern about outpacing inflation, especially when the inflation rate for housing is significantly higher than the general inflation rate. So the way we always talk about it is you need to link up the investment allocation that you have with the time horizon of the goal. Moira, how do you think about it? I completely agree with Georgia. That five-year rule is really important. So you'd say if you can't lock your money away for at least five years, then you shouldn't be going anywhere near the stock market. And that really means you have to use the cash accounts. You have to use the the notice accounts where you lock your money away for one, two, three, four years to get the higher rates. And you know this may happen if you're in retirement. But it can also happen if you're in your 20s saving for a deposit to put down on a house, which you intend to buy within the next five years. It can happen if you um, are saving up for a wedding, for your next car. There's all sorts of life reasons why you might need to keep a little bit extra in cash. And it's always related to some kind of purchase generally. Think about that five-year rule really carefully. Don't make the mistake of not letting your money grow and have the potential to grow. That's really helpful. We should probably think also about people for whom, you know, they don't have a boodle of cash. You know, we've talked about people who have too much cash, but there are people who are really just scraping by and with inflation, it's gotten that much harder for them. What can people do to kind of build up that cash while also not making themselves nervous and making sure they have some money without overdoing it? Well, here in the UK, there are some of the big players in the current account market have some great regular savings accounts attached to them. So look out for those. Make sure you've got a good deal that you can save up £50 a month, whatever it is that you can afford to spare to build up three months outgoing, saved somewhere securely. And please do switch for the better rates because it may seem like, oh, it's only a few percentage here and there. But in the long run, you need to take advantage of all the better deals you can access. Um, It's a frightening stat that um, people don't break up with their bank. They're more likely to get divorced than they are to, to leave their bank in the UK. And a lot of us, you know, we take out bank accounts when we're in our late teens or going off to university and then never change it. And it should only take you a few minutes to do the switch. The technology is there to make it a lot easier than it used to be, say, five, ten years ago. Georgia, do you have thoughts? My experience is most people get into trouble because of the future spending that they haven't allocated within their plan. So, you know, we have our bills. That's what we already agreed to do in the past. We have our lifestyle, which is today, which, as we all know, is increasing significantly with inflation. But there's about 30 to 40% of our spending that is actually just going to happen in the future and is going to be irregular and often larger purchases that we don't see coming or we don't know exactly when they're going to happen. So good examples are car repairs, medical expenses, home repairs. Then there might be vacations, holidays, these kinds of big costs that are much more than the average. That tends to be what undermines people's financial stability on the day-to-day. So what we often recommend is beginning a habit, even if it's a small amount to say, put away five or $10 a month for that car repair that you think might happen in the next year for the medical expenses, et cetera. So that when they happen, there is a little fund of money to pull from. And it's like going back to your grandma's envelope system of saving, but it's using contemporary banking structures to say, 
I'm going to put this money aside. And then when this bill comes, at least some of it I can, I can cover. And so it's this future money that I find is really the habit that our highest net worth clients with the most money to spend and people who are living on very limited incomes, that's the thing we all have to learn how to manage. You know, sort of stepping back, what would be the sort of top three tips you would give each of you to an investor who right now is wanting to sit in cash a lot, but also doesn't want to get beaten out by inflation? So how should they approach this? And, you know, what's the smartest things you should do? I think you should look at what your essential spending is over the course of a year. And you should know that figure, whether it's for yourself or or, or a family that you're supporting. And then you kind of know what to base your emergency cash fund on. That's a great starting point. If you're the over cash saver, you've got this massive surplus of money sitting in the bank. I think you need to have a serious look at that and give yourself a inflation lesson. (laughs) Start reading up on stock market investing. Look at some long-term graphs of the stock market and see what you might be missing out on. And think about things like, you know, could you put more money into a pension fund that you're contributing to? Could you use ISAs, which are um, another great tax-efficient way of saving for the future? And just educate yourself, because what it comes down to is we're not well enough educated here in the UK about what's possible with our personal finances. And a lot of people live in denial and therefore miss out on the opportunities. I agree with all that. It always comes down for me to having a vision of where you want to go and being clear on what your values are. So in the US, we highly recommend that people have a certified financial planner that they work with. They should be fee only. If you don't have assets for them to manage, they can be paid an hourly rate. So I would recommend... If for folks who are sitting on a lot of cash are on the side of things where they have a tendency to pile it up, is that getting some expert advice to help with the education piece in the U.S. is really helpful because the way that our uh, financial system is built is it's, in my opinion, intentionally opaque. It makes it very hard to make thorough, thoughtful informed decisions. And so having somebody as a guide can be really helpful. You may only need to talk to them once every two or three years because the plan's relatively simple. You need to know where your money's going. You need to know how to invest it and you need a little tune-up occasionally. So I think that's essential. Um, And I think the piece that I really want to call forward, especially in the US, is the values piece. We recommend that folks look at banks that align with their values because banking is incredibly powerful. The stat that I've seen is that if you have $100,000 in savings at your bank, Your bank then goes out and lends at a nine times rate. So they can go out and make $900,000 in loans. Now, is your bank lending to minority-owned businesses and your neighbor's small business and giving a mortgage for the folks down the street? Or are they lending it out for pipelines and giant projects that you may not support. So we recommend folks take a look at mightydeposits.com. I'm in no way connected with them. We just use them all the time. And they tell you what, how the bank that you are with or the credit union with, how they utilize the funds of your deposits. Secondly, I would say around the values piece, I am very concerned that people are starting to move their money back to the big banks and away from the small banks when there's no logical reason. So again, double check that you're not, that you're FDIC insured. And if you're insured, chill in the place that you call home and that treats you well enough. Those are my recommendations. 
Thanks for being on the show, guys. This was really interesting. Pleasure. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it was a blast. That's it for Money Clinic with me, Brooke Masters, filling in this week for Claire Barrett. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, spread the word and leave us a review. Money Clinic is always looking to chat with people about their money issues for the show. If you're interested in being part of a future episode and are looking for some expert money advice, email the team at money at ft.com. You could also take a peek at our website, ft.com forward slash money, or grab a copy of the FT Weekend newspaper. Money Clinic This Week was produced by Zach St. Louis with help from Persis Love. And our editor is Manuela Sargosa. You heard original tunes this week by Metaphor Music. And finally, our usual disclaimer. The Money Clinic podcast is a general discussion around financial topics and does not constitute an investment recommendation or individual financial advice. For that, you'll need to find an independent financial advisor. That's it for now. I'll be back next week for one more episode before Claire returns. I'll talk to you then. Goodbye. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.